Have you heard of the Torah coming out of Berlin? There's always something bubbling beneath the surface here. A Torah bursting to get out, a new way of seeing the world in Yiddishkeit and our collective future. And sometimes this Torah comes out in commentaries on the Talmud and other times in community building. But for this season, we want to explore how this Torah comes out through art. What is the Torah of creation, of taking an idea in your soul and putting it on canvas or into an album or performance? What are the words deep inside of you that you must put onto the page? And what are the stories, the experiences that drive you to create it? What is a Jewish artist? What is Jewish art? What is the art of the Torah that is the fabric of our lives? So come and learn. Welcome to Torah Curious. So I guess we're live. Welcome to Torah Curious. I'm very excited to be the guest host of this special edition of Torah Curious, the podcast straight out of this time, Neukölln. <laughs> and this is not only the special edition of this podcast, of the, I believe, third season, it is also the opening event um, of the festival, this year's Festival of Resilience. And uh, throughout the next three weeks, a lot of events are going to take place. I suggest that all of our listeners um, follow the Instagram channels, the social media challenge, uh, channels of Base Berlin to hear and know and read more about, is one, about what is going to happen over the next few weeks. So today I'm here as your guest host. My name is Laura Cassis, and I'm going to be speaking to Sharon Rabakan, who is a French-Israeli filmmaker. Sharon, we're going to talk about your life. We're going to introduce yourself. And in the tradition of this podcast, I want to start introducing yourself by, um, or start introducing you by asking you about your earliest Jewish memory. So I think that my earliest Jewish memory, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, my earliest Jewish memory, there are so many. I think that um, it's a feeling. It's actually not a specific, um, I would say it's not something specific that happened. Of course, there was always Rosh Hashanah and everything else, but it's it's a feeling that actually it's a conversation I had with my grandfather my um the the father of my mom and he explained to me that being jewish had something to do with responsibility mm -hmm. and that was maybe not the earliest but definitely the one that really impacted me um because i i was like there was something about the way he said it mm -hmm. and it was a talk it was a three generation talk my mom him and me and um I felt like, wow, okay, I'm part of something. And this seems, it's about responsibility. It feels a bit heavy as a little girl. It was like this. Um, but at the same time, it feels so, so good to know that one has to be responsible. So, at, of course, from the perspective of a little girl. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so, this I would is, so yeah. what I would ask you is, it's interesting that you say that you don't necessarily know when this took place, but that it stayed with you. Mm -hmm. Did you know when you first or from that early memory, did you know what he meant by responsibility mm -hmm. and that this is connected to you being Jewish? You know, when you're a little girl, I don't think you intellectually, like when I hear the question now, I refer to the adult that understands the word responsibility. As a little girl, you try to understand what it means, responsibility. And what I felt was If I translate it back to how I felt, I think that what I what I remember is thinking, one has to be a good person. It's mm -hmm. important to be a good person. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, Zion Mensch mm -hmm. is a very Jewish thing. And I think it's something that really, really impacted me. So, mm -hmm. so the answer is it's not an intellectual, it's a feeling that I was transmitted, that I then it was a feeling based a mixture between a feeling and an intellectual translation from a little girl listening to her grandfather and her mom speaking. What is very interesting about what you've just said is when I look at your work as a filmmaker, you last year your 
a big like one of your big works was uh released your um documentary about your family heritage and also your own your own history your family's history displaced um that is coming if i remember correctly into the cinema mm -hmm. in, in november, november. <laughs> and um and it's very interesting that you say that your earliest Jewish experience is so much connected to memory and is so much connected to responsibility. Because when I look at your work, this is exactly what I see. I see um, that you, in a way, or what I like take from your work is in a way taking up that responsibility and try to make it visible in a way. Is that something that, that or... Mm -hmm. Interesting. In a way, what, like, can you explain a bit more about what you do? Like, or why, what are the topics that, mm -hmm. in a way, resonate from this early Jewish memory into what you do today as a filmmaker, as someone who is telling stories, who also tells Jewish stories? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because I was just thinking as I heard your question, I was just thinking, wow, I mean, I could have also spoken about going to to the Beth Knesset, to the synagogue, right? I mean, I was I was running around as a little girl all over, you know, Passachstraße in Munich, and actually, which is in the film, which is funny that only people from, you know, Munich who, or people who visited the synagogue would know. Which um, is something that we have in common. Exactly, up in exactly. Munich. We'll get back to we'll that. We'll get that. <laughs> so, you know, it's as if you were asking me if I were trans if I was translating this, I would say it's as if you would ask me can you show how your work is a very much a feminine work? I mean, you're a woman, right? It's just as much a part of me. So I think that my work and responsibility is so much who I am that it's not only what you see in my work as a filmmaker, it's how I approach my work. And I think that this is much more how I see it. I find it very important, for instance, that the protagonists, um, whoever it is, especially with whom it's more complicated, um, that they I make sure that they feel represented. You know, am I really, really telling your story? Did I really understand what you mean? Is this being really translated properly? Because first of all, I'd feel terribly guilty if I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of filmmakers, if you look at it this way, where you'd say, hmm, um, well, They're not, um, they're not, they don't care about that. They think about their artistic freedom, for instance, mm. right? I mean, from a filmmaker's perspective, you could say, how is that? But for me, it is my identity as a person and therefore as a filmmaker. Now, I don't know if this answered your question, really. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll get more into that also as we'll speak about the topics that you, mm -hmm. that, um, that you, like, Put into or, or, or that your films are about, um, and I think what is what is interesting is also that you said. I mean, you are portraying people, but it's not only that you're portraying people; you're portraying very vulnerable parts mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. um, and this might also be interesting as we continue to to speak, mm -hmm. and and also as this is the opening of the Festival of Resilience. I'm sure we're going to get in, into that topic and also mm -hmm. what resilience might have to do with vulnerability but I want to go back to the thing that we have in common and um so you just disclaimed we both grew up in in Munich we have also early memories childhood mem memories uh, connected to this community um even though you grew up in very like or your life took place in many places I would like to hear from you what was it like for you to grow up in Germany as a Jewish person? How was and how was that? Was there how was the perspective on that once you moved to other places? Mm. I'm going to try to stick because I find it important to not intellectualize something. You know, I, I lived here from, you know, zero to 14. So this is a time in life where you are learning to everything, right? Um, and being Jewish here meant actually, first of all, 
becoming aware through the eyes of others what they think means Jewish. And then, therefore, it shapes your identity. In other words, when you say you are in school and you say, well, I'm not going to come to school tomorrow, even if there's a test because it's Rosh Hashanah. And, you know, one example. Or, for instance, which is a very early memory, which I'll never forget, you know, you enter and they're in, in Bavaria. I don't know if you had that too, but there was uh, still a, a, you know, a, cross. a cross a cross hanging with, you know, Jesus Christ on it, crucifix, as they say, right? And you, and you see that and you see everyone getting up. It's, you learn as much about being Jewish as you learn about actually not being Jewish. This is the interesting part, right? You learn the differences. Absolutely. Right? So you're there and everybody stands up and you think, wow, okay, so I have no idea what I'm doing here. And you become aware of yourself and you become aware of the others. And for me, this was exciting, confusing, scary, um, and interesting at once, you know. Um, but I was very lucky because I had my my mother who was always very clear. And I think that helps a lot, you know, when you have clarity. Um, so she helped a, a lot. And then, of course, there was also, I think what became much more interesting, and I'll just make when I moved to Israel, uh, was that, oh, wow, being Jewish has so many more different ways of being. I mean, I had that already anyway because my grandparents are French. So I moved away from just being in Germany always. I was always on vacation also in France. So this was my luck. But still, so the pluralism, the idea of, you know, which is a very important notion for me in my Jewish identity, which I find very important is like pluralism in Jewish identities. Um is to see, okay, it, there's many, many ways of being Jewish. Mm -hmm. And this is something that felt sometimes very narrow here, mm -hmm. actually. And also there was either this way of being Jewish or being in German. Yeah. Or like, or can, being, you, can you yeah. maybe, because from what I understood from Jeremy is that there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who okay. might not necessarily know what this, like, what this narrow feeling that you're describing, and I understand very well, mm -hmm. might mean. Mm -hmm. Can you, is that, like, could you describe that a bit mm -hmm. by explaining what the community that we, like, mm -hmm. we were born into mm -hmm. Um Who are the people? Like, why does this sometimes feel narrow? So exactly. Thank you. Because it's it, it's actually not even a criticism. And in a way, talking about it is actually talking about my film because I portray many of these people in, in my film. I think that, you know, these are the community in Munich, the Jewish community in Munich um, are, you know, were survivors, first generation. And, you know, their children, second generation, and then us, you know, third, fourth generation that were born into that. So this was before the uh, Russian Jewish community, before the 90s came. This was the small, very tiny community. So these people were, you know, lived in Germany um, and... You know, living in the country of the perpetrator means that they created created a small community in which they needed safety. And it was, it demanded a lot of courage for these people to step outside. And one of the, you know, outside as in like going outside and, you know, people were scared, of course, you know, and, and traumatized and, and, you know, it's, it's a very different thing. So this is what's maybe very particular, I'd say, about these communities in Germany and specifically about the Jewish community in Munich, I would say, which is, you know, the one I'm talking about and the one I know the best. So mm -hmm. I don't want to be talking about the other ones because I didn't experience it as much. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Does that answer the question? It does. It okay. does. I think it's... It's sometimes what I experience is that, and you will have had, I'm sure you had this experience as well, going to another country, meeting Jewish people there. It's sometimes, it's not only, it's, we grow up in the setting in Germany. We somehow find our own way of dealing with that very, like, intertwined identity of mm -hmm. living here, living in this country, having this heritage that also doesn't apply to every Jewish person here. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, then going out and being confronted with someone asking you, how can you live in Germany? Why do you live in Germany? Mm. And sometimes that is um, that is really hard to explain that it is 
on the one hand, it was not only a choice, but on the other hand, it also, it is what it is in a way. And it is also, I don't know about you, I oftentimes feel that it that growing up in Germany has made me more aware of my Jewish heritage in a way. Um, and when I like, I look at, I looked at your film, I watched your film, I think two weeks ago. And what I found so interesting and also actually incredibly, incredibly brave is that you managed to, to portray this. Therefore, it was super interesting what you just said um, about how you portray people. But what you managed to do is really to portray the, the strength the ambivalence, but also the pain at the same time that comes with that that certain kind of heritage. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you can tell us a bit more about like what, when was the moment where, where you, like you yourself, I don't know whether that entailed courage, I believe it must have, um, when you said, this is what I want to do. I really, I want to portray this, this conglomerate of emotions <laughs> um, that comes with mm. um, that comes with I mean you called your movie displaced which might also be interesting interesting for the listeners is connected to that feeling on the one hand and also to the actual situation of second generation people children of survivors and survivors who in a way stranded here in this no man's land country <laughs> mm. post Shoah. So hmm, I think that you, you know, you, you mentioned ambivalence and I think um, this has much to do with the, the beauty and the magic of filmmaking. Filmmaking is a moment where you experience when you see, when you watch a film, you experience the film. You, ultimately, the idea is to feel something. You think, but you're, you're you're fed both intellectually and emotionally, right? And thank you for your kind words about the film. And ultimately, I believe that the problem is that so much that's been said and done about the Shoah, and this was probably one of the first things that I felt and that were really important for me to deconstruct, I'd say, is they are detached from any feeling. You're not feeling Absolutely. anything anymore. I mean, you are just creating something to make you feel, you know, you're using music or you're using that or you, but it's, especially in Germany, you know, it's like there was no dialogue happening at all you know, between the Jewish communities and the non-Jewish communities in Germany. So there was like, there was on the one side trauma, shortly said, right? Um, and on the other side, there was a sort of guilt that felt insincere. And I'm saying, of course, I'm speaking in a very general way, but this is sort of, you know, I would say a result of experiences that led me to make this film also and where I thought, okay, well, we're, we're actually not even speaking the same language. No so there was a sort of like, okay, well, language just goes as far, you know? There's something you need to actually feel. And you were saying ambivalence. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things that go on um, that especially, you know, this is exact, exactly what you mentioned with the experience that you had. Why are you still living in Germany, right? I mean, this is such a... I mean, understandable sentence, and yet such an aggressive sentence, Absolutely. if you think about it, right? Absolutely. I mean, so aggressive. Like, why are you living there? And there's so many reasons why these people could not leave. Maybe even if they didn't have the courage to go, because it was maybe in a really horrible way, this was a safe place at the end, because they thought any worse than what we've lived and I'm talking about the first generation of survivors, we're not going to hang. So what, you're going to blame them for that? Are you going to blame? Okay, you can say they're not as courageous as the ones who moved elsewhere, who had the, you know, who fought longer, who said, I don't want to be. But at the end, is that, I mean, you know, so for me, 
Um, and the problem is, is as I hear myself speaking, I think, well, of course, somebody can, you know, take what I say and say, I disagree with you completely. Absolutely. But then I can just say, well, the least we can do and the least I can do as a filmmaker and as a third generation of survivors try to actually show and try to understand what these people have felt in some ways as much as I can, of course, within the realm of my abilities and so that you can experience it. And then maybe, maybe there'll be a little less judgment and a little bit more understanding. Mm -hmm. Is that also one of the reasons why you chose your own family history to do that? Because... Mm. No, I think it was just the most... Um, no, I think that I used my family history in a very clear way because I knew that this is something that I... Uh, it was complicated enough to do the topic, to tackle the topic, to not be constantly worried if I'm going to be overstepping boundaries because this is something, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy topic for anyone. And I wanted to, you asked me, were you brave? I think I wanted to be brave. So it was easier in a way to be braver, I would, mm -hmm. <laughs> to be braver um, within my personal context, you know, within my friend's my family, um, the people surrounding me, I'd say, in the widest sense than to do it with somebody where I'd be constantly worried that I'd be maybe, you know, stepping to close or offending them or stuff because it's a process. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That makes total sense, okay. even though I like, even though I find it, I still find it brave because when I look at my own family history, there is, there certainly is that urge to I think a lot what is also connected to the Shoah is like is is exactly what you're saying that lack of a connection to the full realm of of feelings tied to this because it's basically unbearable and it is and it is. and still there is an urge to kind of to kind of break that break that up or let that break out in sure. a way um but it's not easy to do that with your own family and to I I believe, or that's what I sometimes feel, is that in a way, maybe that's also that's also an issue that is very connected to to third to the third generation, is that maybe we're the first ones who are actually able to even to at least try, you know. Um and um, but I think that's also a very what is also interesting is that is a very, I think that is a very nowadays particular experience within the Jewish community because not every Jewish person in Germany is a grandchild of Shoah survivors sure. because there has been migration from the former Soviet Union and there are narratives of um, and, and, and important narratives within the Jewish communities of grandchildren of those who freed the camps within the within the or as part as soldiers of the red army mm -hmm. and um and it's interesting to also negotiate these sometimes very conflicting conflicting narratives it's it's not necessarily conflicting but in a broader sense but it's sometimes personally conflicting it's conflicting in a broader um in a broader setting of majority society trying to understand what Jewish life in Germany means today. And all of these negotiations um, then again, of course, find their place in a country where um, anti-Semitism still exists. Mm -hmm. And um, and while this is this might not be the only reason or not the way why or not the reason why the festival of resilience is celebrated in the way it's celebrated um but it was it was kind of an like the idea of the festival of resilience is to give a jewish answer as i interpret it to the things that we cannot overcome as a jewish community mm -hmm. so 
what I'd be really interested interested in would be um, what does resilience mean to you? <laughs> First of all, I think it's it's such an it's such a beautiful question and such a beautiful world word and world actually. Um, resilience. It means in short for me, and the, these are the people I admire, I'd say, an ability to handle whatever comes at you in life with, yeah, if you can do it with a smile, gosh, I mean, you're my hero, basically. <laughs> This is what resilience means. So whatever comes and, yeah, that's my definition. It's short. What does resilience entail? You just mentioned the smile. Mm -hmm. So in terms, like, in, in, as I understand it, lightness as well. Lightness too. It doesn't have it to. It, no, it doesn't have to be lightness, lightness. But I think that if you can really smile, then it means that you can really accept it. It means actually acceptance. Mm -hmm. And the smile is a result of the acceptance. Mm -hmm. I don't think you smile. I mean. If you really smile, of course, not if you fake smile it. But um, <laughs> I don't like fake like smiles. The, inner, the, <laughs> the, inner... the your you know the openness to the recognition that whatever is happening to you is is what it is, mm -hmm. and you are of course responsible. This is the other side, right? Resilience means taking responsibility for what you can do mm -hmm. and letting go mm -hmm. of what you cannot do. Mm -hmm. Not change, maybe, mm -hmm. is better said, mm -hmm. more precisely expressed. Mm -hmm. And then having, but this is the ideal. Mm -hmm. And here comes the, 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 the difficulty, is that this is the ideal that I would, that I'm aiming towards. You mm -hmm. asked me for me, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I'm capable of it. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, um, very often do not manage to do it like that. And I do not get to the smile. And sometimes it just means surviving best mm -hmm. you can. And that is and deserves just as much respect mm -hmm. um, in the deepest. Um, and, and I mean that with, with the deepest um, sincerity that I can come up with um, inside of me. I mean that it really, I would never, even if I give you a definition of resilience, at the end of the day, it is doing the best you can. Mm -hmm. um, with whatever you have been given in your hands mm -hmm. in that very moment in your biography with this context, with what, with whatever it's happening. But as you see, I'm thinking about the worst all mm -hmm. the time. So this is, is like, <laughs> for me, it is, I don't want to talk <laughs> for anyone else for me. Unfortunately it is, you know, mm -hmm. it's the oi thing, but you know, the oi vey, but you know, yes, yeah. um, for me it mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Very much. So, I mean, yes. Mm -hmm. So, so it's the oive thing on the one hand. On the one hand. Um, and, but do you feel, do you feel that Judaism itself or whatever you connect to your Jewishness entails resilience in itself? Or is it rather something that you feel you have to battle with? This is a very important question. So if you look at Jewish history and what happened to the Jewish people, it is a story of resilience, full stop. However, and this is where it gets for me complicated, I would not want to undermine the trauma of the generations that we are a product of. Mm -hmm. This is something where I feel like, okay, I mean, Yes, I want to smile. Yes, I want that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, because I feel like we are in a very, very special time right now. Um, I'm talking about, you know, yeah, this era in a way with mm -hmm. possibilities mm -hmm. um, to rethink certain things. Can really. you say more about that? What do you feel when you look at our times, at our era? What do you well, mean by special times? Well, I mean, I look at that conversation with you and I look at you as a person. And I think, wow, okay, there are many amazing Jewish people out there trying to create change that implies, for instance, pluralism, and that implies 
keeping Jewish values at once and yet in a creative way, I would say, like owning up to them. And, and you're and, part of that as well. Thank you. But, you know, and also, and for me, it's it's very strange that what I'll say, but it's for me, it actually means also living with the others. It is not, it, it cannot be without the non-Jewish people. It has to be with them together for me. And I think this is special right now because I think that it means in the widest sense, recognizing your own uh, Jude Judaity on the one side and on the other side, co-living and sharing that space mm -hmm. with anyone that is anything else, whatever they wish to be. And I find it so important and so beautiful. And I think that this is the feeling that I'm getting from what I'm reading and seeing and observing is that. I'm definitely not the only one who feels that and that there's a wish for that mm -hmm. around us. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because one of your earlier movies is called Recognition. <laughs> um, do you feel that recognition or people being able to recognize who you are in your full spectrum? You said the undermining the trauma is a problem, is mm -hmm. that it's not visible and that it's not graspable and mm -hmm. that it's not that people don't understand mm -hmm. um, on the one hand, um, but that you're more than that mm -hmm. or that we are more than that. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, that we're so much more that you love to dance salsa and I love to cook and you love to this and I don't know, we love to party or not, whatever. Mm -hmm. That the trauma is one thing. And on the other hand, there are so many other other things that we enjoy doing and where we find life in. Do you feel that recognition is a part of resilience in a society, in the society that we live in, in the era that we live in? Well, recognition, first of all, starts within yourself. Mm -hmm. And then only when you can accept, that's why I said acceptance, first comes acceptance, then comes recognition. Mm -hmm. And recognition is something, do you give it to yourself or do you expect it from the others? Because if you expect it from the others, you're lost. But if you are capable of giving it yourself and therefore then expressing it on the outside, then yes. So yes, recognition is definitely in, in a part of the process within resilience. Mm -hmm. Because resilience is a, you know, it's such a it's such a broad term in a way, right? It's, it's something that you work towards. You're not resilient every day in the same way. And not every circumstance or situation um, does that. And sometimes it's also recognizing the limits of your own resilience mm -hmm. and that actually entails recognition mm -hmm. and then yes mm -hmm. yeah and then we're back at acceptance also exactly mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. in which way is all of what we're talking about connected to the concept of home Because what I, I think one thing that is a very special experience if you grow up in Germany, um, we constantly are being, con we're constantly being confronted with a label, with people wanting to give us a label, with our urge to give ourselves a label. Are you a German Jew? Are you a Jewish German person? Are you, do you only have a German passport? Is mm. your language German? Mm. Um, what part of your identity is German? And is it not weird that you're so disconnected from the place you were born in? That is some, something, for example, my father is a Sephardi Jew from Argentina. And he doesn't have any conflict with his, I like I told Jeremy that in the podcast as well when I was a guest here. I told him like my father is like, he says, no, he's an Argentinian and he's also Jewish and it's no problem whatsoever. It's mm -hmm. very interesting to have that at one family table, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but for me, that question of, of, you know, of what even being German means in the different parts of my family like for my one grandmother i was the german and for my other grandmother the germans were the per perpetrators mm. so um that always brought me into a situation of trying to reframe the concept of home mm -hmm. now you're a person that basically lived around the globe and you're like you like many other jewish people mm -hmm. you you kind of make yourself at home in many places in the world mm -hmm. so what is what it like is there a concept of home for you yes and no mm -hmm. because what 
what is the definition of home that we're really talking about? Mm -hmm. As you already said it very specifically, uh, home in the for a Jewish person and is already it's such a loaded topic, right? And independently for me, it's I could say if I answered shortly, I'd say my family is home, but it's not a place then. Mm -hmm. My apartment is my home. And any place that I love could be a home. Mm -hmm. And any person that I, I love, love could be a home. Could be a home. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just I think it's just completely freed from any of the societal understandings of what a general home is. You know, sometimes when I was when I was much younger and I was a little girl, you know, I'd watch families or movies with people in it where there would be a story of a home with one place, you know, these, you know, people <laughs> leaving, having a house, and <laughs> one house. And, um, and, you know, they go back and there's this, this nostalgic feeling. And, <laughs> and I was like, I was crying. I remember myself crying and being like, I have no, I don't have that. I don't even know what that means. It's so funny, you know, there isn't even an accurate word in, in English, but um, when I, I didn't know that, that people actually say that, but when I studied at university, um, people would always say when they're like, when there's semester, like break between, between terms and people would always say, ich fahre in die Heimat, mm -hmm. ich fahre zurück in die Heimat und Heim and Heimat is basically, there is no accurate word in English for That's it, right. but it's like, I'm going home. But home entailing home and heritage in a way. It's Absolutely. a very strong, strong, and also even in German connotated word. Absolutely. That home is not only where you're living, home is where your heritage is. Um, and of course, the word is even lo more loaded in German because Heimat, especially in the Nazi era, was so connected to that whole ideology of Blut und Boden. Um, blood and soil and all of that. So it's an extremely, extremely loaded word, especially also in the political, in the act, in the current political climate that we're in, it's used again and again. So especially people here in Germany who have both like migrational biographies and also Jewish biographies right. uh, struggle with that, with that notion. But I found it so interesting, so interesting that like my friends from uni, don't even understand or, or or for them it wasn't an ambivalent thing at all it's just going home they didn't mean they didn't mean it in an ideologically loaded way they just said i'm going home to my family this is where i come from and this is a feeling where i i was just curious and irritated because i because what i felt for the first time i couldn't be further away from that feeling Like, I understand what you're saying. I have no clue what you're feeling. Like, this is very strange to me. Mm -hmm. And so how do we build a society in which, big questions here, how do we build a society in which not everyone has the same concept of home? Is that even possible? I like I ask myself that sometimes. I don't mm -hmm. know. How do you feel about that? Also, with your experience of having lived in different countries. Hmm. How do we build a society when we don't have the same concept of home? Well, we we actually, I think it starts with the question you just asked mm -hmm. by asking the question, what what does home mean? Mm -hmm. And by enabling a place where actually various notions of home could be seen and heard and valued and respected. Mm -hmm. And this is what so oftentimes is missing, right? Um, my definition of home um, it, this is again so much, how, how should I put this? Um, it's so loaded in terms of normative expectations of society, mm -hmm. as you explained. Now you gave the example of Germany, but every country has that, mm -hmm. you know, no matter where you travel, you get the narrative, the nor you know, the normative narrative of the, the, the story, the that specific country wants to tell itself, right? And mm -hmm. any, and actually one of the, the very painful and difficult thing for people with backgrounds, migration who immigrated to these places that they suddenly get confronted mm -hmm. with that idea of 
what does a home mean and how does it look like? And then in a, in a way you could say, this is what any immigrant lives. They're confronted with the idea of home in a specific place instead mm. of being welcomed for how they could enrich with their idea of home a society. So if you ask me, I think that if we looked at at people as, you know, treasures, treasures of knowledge due to their culture, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And try to make the different notions of home compatible mm -hmm. to one another, we could actually maybe I know it's very idealistic. I realize that. I no, mean, I it think it's a, be a wish. It's but <laughs> but but this would be okay. <laughs> it's okay. We're just, you know. Okay. <laughs> but yes, this is what I believe. I think it 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 has something to do with tolerance and ability to open your your mind to other notions mm -hmm. of of home, and then you can at least this is what I believe can help. Mm -hmm. Interesting. To welcome and to feel welcomed. A friend of mine once told me that I say interesting too often. <laughs> He's kind of right, because what does that even mean? Um, but what I am interested in now is what you have brought to, to us. Because in the tradition of this podcast, this is also the reason why it's called Torah Curious. That's right. Jeremy usually asks his guests to bring a piece of Torah and Torah in a very, in a very like Torah can mean anything in a wide sense that you connect to wisdom. If I understood correctly, Rabbi, he's not allowed to interrupt me. I'm just saying it. <laughs> so yeah, I want to know like what you've brought and I see because People who will listen to this podcast uh, won't see you in front of me, but you have brought a book already. That's right. Uh, that's right. It's a bright blue sidor. That's right. That's right. And yeah, and I want to know like what you've brought to us and why. So I'm, as I'm not a very knowledgeable person mm -hmm. um, in terms of religion, I must say. I brought to you a piece that I found at once a part that I find at once extremely beautiful, extremely surprising, um, and extremely humbling. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do is just I'm going to read it out loud, and then we can talk about it. Yes, I'd is love that to. is that Amazing. good enough? Now I'm not going to read it in Hebrew. No, it's okay. I'll just read it in English. Mm -hmm. So, Elohim, that I will say, Justin, um, the soul you placed within me is pure. You created it, you formed it, you breathed it into me, and you guard it while it is within me. One day you will take it from me and restore it to me in the time to come. As long as the soul is within me, I will thank you. Lord my God and God of my ancestors, master of all works, Lord of all souls, blessed are you, Lord who restores souls to lifeless bodies. So this is a, the morning prayer. Mm -hmm. I was just saying, this is Shacharit. This is Shacharit. For non-Jewish non exactly. listeners, it might be interesting to say that, like, that it entails thanking God for basically putting the souls back in our bodies, right? But it's what, it's the prayer you do when you wake up. Exactly. And... It also entails the fact that going to sleep is um, essentially letting go of life and wake. It's to me, it's a it's a prayer of gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's acknowledging that being alive, and this is for me very Jewish in its core, mm -hmm. that being alive is something that is not to be taken for granted, mm -hmm. and I feel that at least for me, and this is very personal, of course, but being, reminding myself of that, of being thankful that ooh, being awake and that actually going to sleep, not knowing if I will wake up again or not is one thing. And also that I have that level of humility mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because oftentimes 
you forget, right? You are so caught up in life that you just expect. And there's this, um, you know, there's the sentence in Hebrew that comes to me, you know, magieli, like I deserve to, I, it's, I, it, you know, as something, someone owed me something in life and nothing is owed to you. The fact, like recognizing that life is, is a treasure mm -hmm. and that um, it can be taken from you mm -hmm. at any point. Yeah. So this is something that I find very powerful, beautiful in terms of the tradition and humbling, deeply humbling as a human being. Mm -hmm. What I find so what I found so powerful when you just read it out is, and that is something that I sometimes forget is how much of a concept of soul, like what the concept, how or how how important the concept of soul of the soul is in Judaism mm -hmm. is that the. The, the question of what makes us human mm -hmm. and who are we, who mm -hmm. are we as individuals, as mm -hmm. a collective, is so much connected to the concept that there is a body and a soul as well. Mm -hmm. And that is not on that what you, when you just read it out, I just like it was brought back into my mind is that the soul sometimes is connected with the body and sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. And and how interesting that is. Mm -hmm. How interesting that is to 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 realize that that this is also a part of Judaism in a way. It's a, like yeah, that's a beautiful that's a beautiful piece of um, of Torah. <laughs> I like it's an interesting and also very like and very a very important and inherent part of Judaism. Is yeah, and it's much, daily. It's daily. It's something that you it's practice. You know, it's, it's a, a routine. Practice. And but. I think it's, you know, I think the difficulty relies on doing it daily mm -hmm. and actually believing it mm -hmm. daily. This is why the, the, the aspect of humility and gratitude, mm -hmm. which I find so important mm -hmm. as a human being, mm -hmm. I say, mm -hmm. um, this is what is so inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that that is something that is also connected to resilience in Judaism is that we have these practices that we have, I don't know, that we lean towards joy, that we, that we are grateful in the morning, that we, that we, that we recite our heritage, our stories, that we, do you believe that this is something that makes us more resilient? I don't know. I think that it's definitely true for people who practice, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I think that definitely, like, I think this is one of the beauty about being religious, mm -hmm. actually, mm -hmm. definitely. Mm -hmm. I think that this is being one. able to access that as a resource. Well, accessing and, and, and being aware of it. I mean, you know, you cannot do it if you're not if you knowledgeable. And also not knowing its resources and its power. It's definitely there. The question is, do you know how to use it? Mm -hmm. And you have access to it. And, you know, Jewish tradition is, as we know, is there's only a, a small part that is ultimately um, religious or it's a small part. It's, it depends on every person religion is what is I'm a, trying. Absolutely. It can be, you know, you can be culturally Jewish very easily. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think it's definitely, I would say, I would call it a resource. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that everyone has the privilege mm -hmm. to access it. Mm -hmm. do, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So um, so I think it's wonderful that it's there. This mm -hmm. is what I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a very good description. That's what I often, oftentimes feel that also as a secular living person that still values that 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 part of Judaism there is that is far more than being religious is to know, like, it's good that it's there. It's so, it's sometimes, it's like a backup, right? It's like a backup to be able to, and not only a backup, it's like a, it's a resource lying there. It's, Actually, I think it's a treasure of knowledge. Absolutely, yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that it's, um, the question is whether I use it or not, it's mm -hmm. really, you know, This is, you know, at the end, what, you know, everyone discusses with himself and their relationship to God. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. this is something for each person on a private level to discuss for them how they will live life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So what do we make of this in terms of, you know, having the resource lying there and like this turmoil between the resource mm -hmm. lying there, the heritage in our backs and the, and the ideals that we look into? Well, clearly a podcast is coming out of it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's one thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that what I try to say with that is that it's, um, I think we're all trying to be creative in making the best out of it, essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, transmitting whatever it is that we feel is necessary to transmit, whether it's, you know, um, teachings about the Torah or about, you know, creating bridges or, you know, whatever it is. I think we, this is what we do. And if I speak for myself, well, I find it already complicated enough to be a authentic and true version of myself while at the same time being an artist, while living in society and being a you know, a Jewish woman who's a filmmaker. I find that quite, it's plenty. There's plenty. I find it, um, so I, I don't feel like I'm lacking challenges um, in that sense, you know, with the, and yeah, and making it accessible and seeing the knowledge and the potential in it at all times, the abundance, ultimately. Hmm. That's the work. That's the work. <laughs> well, a lot of work ahead of you, a lot of work ahead of us. It was amazing speaking to you. It was amazing to speak to you. And yeah, to our listeners, have a good evening. I hope you enjoyed the talk. This was the special edition of Torah Curious as part of the Festival of Resilience 2021. And thank you and have a good evening. Bye-bye. Thank you. That's it for our inaugural episode of Season 3. Huge thanks to Lara Kazez, the best guest host the rabbi could ask for. Big thanks also to Sharon Reba Khan for joining us in our first ever live recording. Huge thanks as always goes out to Rabbi Rebecca Blady, Valentin Lutzet for the cover art, Alex Segura and Takayasuzawa for the awesome tunes, John Earl for teaching us the meaning of art and our friend in the Bay who made this all possible. Stay tuned for another episode of Torah Curious coming soon with your Laba Berlin fellows. In the meantime, keep learning and stay curious. <laughs>